You're listening to Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman, and today we're going to be talking about how our treatment of fellow animal species not only affects them, but also affects us human animals and can cause public health crises, something pertinent to the COVID-19 pandemic facing the world right now as we record this call on April 16, 2020. My special guest is Dr. Aisha Akhtar. She argues that when we save animals, we save ourselves. Let me tell you more about her. Aisha Akhtar is a medical doctor and holds a master's in public health. She's a double board certified neurologist and preventive medicine specialist with a background in public health. She's the CEO of the Center for Contemporary Sciences, which is pioneering the transition to replace the use of animals and experimentation with effective human-based technologies. Yes. Dr. Akhtar is the author of the recent book, Our Symphony with Animals on Health, Empathy, and Our Shared Destinies. Combining medicine, social sciences, and stories, her book explores how deeply the well-being of humans and animals are entwined. She's also author of the book, Animals and Public Health, Why Treating Animals Better is Critical to Human Welfare, which argues for the need for medical and health institutions to include animals as part of the public in public health. Dr. Akhtar is a fellow of the Oxford Center for Animal Ethics. Previously, she served as Deputy Director of the U.S. Army Traumatic Brain Injury Program and Commander in the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps. Dr. Akhtar has done many media interviews and public speaking gigs, and you may have also seen her TED Talk from 2014 entitled, Do Animals Hold the Key to Your Health? It warned about pandemics, but still manages to be entertaining and inspiring. So that 2014 TED Talk is circulating in social media because of its relevance today. Welcome to In Tune to Nature, Dr. Akhtar. Thank you so much for having me here, Carrie. Yeah. Now, when you wrote your your previous book, Animals and Public Health, in 2012, and you did that TED Talk a few years later, what was the primary message you were trying to convey? Uh, both of them, really, it, it comes down to what you said. And I know it sounds kind of Pollyannish, but it's quite true. When we save animals, we save ourselves. And when we hurt animals, we hurt ourselves, too. And this is across so many categories, so many areas, whether we're talking about our physical health, our mental health, or our mm-hmm. social health. And as far as our physical health is concerned, we're seeing ramifications of that now with COVID-19. Absolutely. Because there's also a, the myth out there sometimes that like, oh, it's got to be one or the other. Like we come first as humans and then sometimes we have to sacrifice them to help each other. That seems to be um, one of the myths out there. It is definitely, and that's one of the myths that I hope to combat and, and dispel is that, no, there is no separating what happens to other animals and what happens to humans. We do not have to choose between other animals and humans. In fact, it's quite the opposite. If we want to protect ourselves, we have to protect animals too. That's a really encouraging message. And it also reminds us that we're part of the animal kingdom, and that's, and that's maybe why that's true about helping them is helping us, because in some ways there's not much difference, even though humans live very differently, but we are still biologically an animal. We are, and we're seeing that with the transfer, transmittance of viruses. With the current COVID, we suspect it can you know, jump from species to species and then ultimately onto humans. So in a very real, direct way, 
we cannot separate ourselves from other animals. Yeah, and, and that leads me to my next question. Um, how do some of the predictions that you talked about in the Animals and Public Health book and the concerns you raised then apply to our current situation with COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, so, and what I was arguing really wasn't anything new, and I wasn't the only voice saying this. There were other researchers and scientists who started to realize that there, we've been seeing um, a rapid rise in the emergence of new viruses, new infectious diseases, and this has been increasing over the past few decades. And three-fourths of emerging infectious diseases, three-fourths of new viruses that we're seeing are coming from other animals. And, but it's not the animal's fault. The way we're getting these viruses really comes down to how we interact with other animals, how we treat other animals. And so we've been seeing this. We've been seeing this in regards to the wildlife trade um, and the risk that it poses to us as well as the harm that it causes to other animals. And we're also seeing a substantial risk coming out of factory farming. And in there, with factory farming, I'm talking about the influenza virus and its potential to cause a pandemic even worse than what we're facing today. Oh, is that similar to when they talk about like Asian, uh, like poultry flus and swine flus? Exactly. It's, it, it, it is that. So, you know, so all the attention currently is on the coronavirus yes. and we suspect that this current coronavirus originated in a type of fruit bat. Fruit bats carry a lot of different viruses, but they don't get sick from it. They tend to just be carriers. So what happens is that at some point in the wildlife trade, where animals are caught from the wild in horrible conditions, they're ripped from their habitats, or they're bred in captivity, again in horrible conditions. And at what that does, what the wildlife trade does is that it, it causes these animals to become very immunocompromised in many ways because think about it. I mean, these are animals who are in such miserable conditions. They're treated cruelly. Yes. At these live markets, they're often butchered on site in incredibly horrendous ways. No one wants, we don't want to see that in the Western world. Um, you know, people don't even want to look at those images. They're so horrible. Um, so you're, you've got animals who basically they're so stressed, their immune systems are down, and you've got animals so packed together and different species brought together through the wildlife trade. And that okay. just makes a, a perfect environment for a virus to jump from like a fruit bat to one species to another and onto humans. And at some point we suspect that the, the current coronavirus jumped from fruit bats to pangolins, maybe some other species as well, and then on to humans. Now, with regard to factory farming, what we're seeing is a little bit different. What we're seeing in factory farms is a rapid mutation of the influenza virus. And I know when most people think about the influenza virus, you know, it doesn't sound very alarming because you think about the seasonal flu we get each year. And the seasonal flu, for most of us, isn't really a big deal. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the influenza virus coming from a factory farm. All influenza viruses originate from wild aquatic birds, so like wild ducks and wild mm -hmm. geese. But the virus that these birds carry, the strains of the virus, isn't something that really causes harms to humans. An intermediate host has to play a role in this, and this is where factory farms come in. Mm -hmm. 
The influenza virus from a duck or a geese can easily enter a factory farm, either directly from those birds or at being carried by humans into a factory farm, and they easily infect chickens as well as pigs. And once an influenza virus gets into these factory farms, they can spread like wildfire because uh, – I'm sorry, the, the virus can spread like wildfire because just like with the wildlife trade, you've got miserable animals jammed packed by the thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands mm. into one shed. Again, they're stressed. Immune systems are down. And each time the virus passes from one animal to another, it can acquire genetic material that makes it even deadlier. So going back to what you mentioned about bird flu and swine flu, what we're seeing, what we've been seeing over the past few decades is a a rise in the mutation rate in the influenza virus coming Mm. from these factory farms. Now, I know a lot of people were were so scared about the COVID right now, and we know that we suspect at least the current statistics are that the case fatality rate, the lethality of COVID is up to 3%, meaning about 3% of the people who contract the COVID virus will will die from it. Mm-hmm. The reason why the influenza virus is far scarier is because in, in um, the 2000s, there was um, an outbreak of uh, bird flu out in Asia, mm-hmm. and um, this was a highly, it was called a highly pathogenic influenza virus. It stemmed from these industrial farms as well as other forms of animal agriculture. Now, that virus had a case fatality rate of 60%, 60. meaning 60, meaning oh 60%, yep, yeah. meaning 60% of the people who contracted that virus died. Wow. So the influenza virus has a huge potential to cause a far worse pandemic than what we're facing today. Wow, that's so important to keep in perspective. And because I'm wondering sometimes if people also hear like, oh, it came from bats, so should we just kill bats? Like, I, I don't hear anyone saying that, but I'm thinking that that might be how some people are thinking. Like, oh, let's just kill whatever animal it originated in. Yeah, the, it, it, I, I, <laughs> well, then we might as well go and kill every single species out there because we don't know what animals carry what viruses, and that's not the way we want to be on this planet, right? And, right, and one um, causes another. Exactly, time. and bats have a crucial role in yeah, ecosystems, like, yeah. and, and they're sentient individuals who have, you yeah. know, who can suffer and feel joy. And, you know, I, I think now is the time to live here, yes. Exactly. Now is the time for us to really understand that the compassionate way of being is far better. No, what we need to do, as far as the wildlife trade is, is cut back on the wildlife trade or stop it altogether. Stop using these animals in the ways that we are doing. Leave them in peace. Yeah. Oh, I like that advice. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature. I'm host Carrie Freeman, interviewing medical doctor Aisha Akhtar, author of several books, including Our Symphony with Animals and Animals in Public Health. Her website is AishaAkhtar.com. Her name is spelled A-Y-S-H-A-A-K-H-T-A-R. Dr. Akhtar, what public health policies related to our treatment of animals do you think would make, make sense, especially given our heightened awareness of these superbugs and global pandemics from infectious diseases that can originate 
from other animal species with whom we forced to interact with us. So the question was about public health policies. Yeah, currently, so we've been hearing from some of our public health agencies a call to end these live markets in Asia and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's a good step. But quite frankly, that's a little too little too late. We've known about these live markets since um, 2003 when we had the first corona outbreak that occurred there in Southeast Asia, and we're talking about SARS, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. So, you know, my question would always be, why didn't we address this back then? Why didn't we do something then? And even now, though, let's say we are, we, we, there is an end to these live markets. Let's say China uh, actually complies with this call. And, um, you know, of course, that's fully up in the air. But let's say there is an end to these live markets. That's just one part of the problem. It's just the end small part of the overall problem. We need to have policies that fundamentally address the entire wildlife trade. And I'm Mm -hmm. talking about the legal part as well as the illegal part. A virus doesn't care if it's being transmitted in an animal through the legal or the illegal trade, right? right? So we need to curtail the entire trade in animals. We also need to seriously look at what we're doing to animals in industrial farms. And public health agencies can start doing more to advocate um, alternative sources of protein, protein that's far healthier for us, far healthier and kinder to the environment, and far kinder to the animals, and will lower, will will minimize our risk of new infectious diseases. Yeah, I I love that advice. And and taking it down to the personal level, for any of our listeners who are concerned, what's one thing that they could do as a consumer, and one thing they could do as a citizen to mutually support human and non-human animal health? I know this isn't something a lot of people want to hear. <laughs> I know it's very easy to, to you know, show, place the blame all, always on, on China and say the problems stem from there. But we have a problem here in the United yeah. States as well, and I, I can't keep, keep reiterating this enough that we have to address what we eat and right. these industrial animal agriculture farms, these factory farms. So the good news, though, is that we don't have to wait for our political leaders and our public health agencies to do the right thing. We can each, each start doing the right thing. We have the power in our own hand. And one thing we can all do is start changing the food that we put on our dinner plate. Start changing that food. Replacing the meat, eggs, and dairy with healthier foods, plant-based products that are, as I mentioned before, they're kinder to the environment, they're kinder to us because we have minim- we will have minimized our risk for strokes and heart disease, diabetes, yes. obesity, and many forms of cancer. And we will cut back on these industrial farms so we will minimize the situations that can create a far worse pandemic than what we're facing today. Yeah, that's great advice. I know in your TED Talk you say, like, oh, eating is the solution. That could be great. That can be fun. (laughs) Yeah, it is, right? (laughs) The way you put it it is actually really positive. Oh, your solution is to eat. Yay, that's what you have to do. And eat healthy things. That's good for you. Yes. I know. And if if I can invite the entire world to my house for dinner, 
to show them that this is no sacrifice, I promise you. You can have the most amazing meals because I'll tell you, I love to eat. I do not like to sacrifice when it comes to food. I enjoy food. But I've learned to, and very easily learned to enjoy these delicious other types of food that are not coming from other animals. Right. So okay. it can, it it can easily. Today that, yeah, it doesn't have any animal products in it. Yeah, it's so it's, easy. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and even just thinking as a citizen, we could also encourage our uh, leaders to subsidize organic plant-based food to make them more accessible instead of subsidizing animal agribusiness. So that's like another route that I like to take with my um, elected officials. Um, that would be good for public health and it would help animals in the environment as well. It would be. And that would be a good um, tactic for public health agencies to start um, pushing as for as well, because we are, most of our tax dollars are really going towards supporting, as you said, subsidizing meat, eggs, and dairy, and right. not plant products that are directly fed to us. Yeah. Um, so that that in itself is a is a is a real crime. And um, we only have a few minutes, and now I'm switching gears a little bit. But um, I know you also work on alternatives to animal testing. And I'm thinking now that there's naturally a rush by scientists to find therapeutics and vaccines for this latest coronavirus, which may mean that they're going to ramp up testing on fellow animal species. What concerns do you have about that? Well, actually, we what we're seeing is that in some ways they're going to be cutting back on the animal testing because there is such an urgency. And animal experimentation... Yeah, and, and and I would say that's a good thing. It's right. not a bad thing because animal testing is so unreliable anyway. There's a 90% failure rate with animal experimentation. Animal experimentation does not reliably inform what's going to happen in the human body. Right. And I worked at the Food and Drug Administration for 10 years, and we've known this. And so we see, so with this urgency to develop vaccines, the traditional way would have been to develop vaccines is to go and keep finding the so-called right animal, the right species that would not only contract the, the virus, but also show the same symptoms that occur in humans. Mm-hmm. That's very difficult because we all differ in how we react. Species differ in how we react to right. the same virus, to the same disease. And so this, if nothing else, this time tells us how important it is for us to get rid of those animals in the laboratories, replace them yeah. with far better, far more effective technologies that are based on not the biology of a rat or a dog or a cat or a monkey, but tests that are based on the biology of humans. Right. And I'm glad that you're, that you're working on that. What's the name of your organization, again, where you work? Uh-huh. It's the Center for Contemporary Sciences, and um, we officially will be launching uh, in May. Okay. Oh, that's great. Well, Dr. Akhtar, if listeners are interested in getting involved with some of the public health and animal issues you raised, what are some resources you would recommend? There have been... I. So there have been some um, op-eds. Uh, if you just look at pandemics and animal treatment, you'll find several op-eds in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Guardian, and elsewhere 
that have been really good um, informative pieces about how, the many different ways that the pandemic potential is being linked to how we treat animals. You can also go to my website, and you mentioned my website before. Again, it's AishaAktar.com, and I have some resources there. I have a way for you to contact me. I love to hear from people, so I, I welcome any emails, as long as they're polite. <laughs> um, I, I, <laughs> I, I welcome them. I love hearing from people and thinking of different ways that, you know, if, if anyone has a way of how we can um, get this message out even further, I would love to hear that. Yeah, and we have to have you writing some op-eds. Do you have any that you're working on? Yeah, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm working on some. I, I know that I'm trying to think of a different angle from what's already been published. Right. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I do have some ideas in mind, which I will be working on this okay. and next week. And yeah, when you do get those published, send them to me because I want to put them on our Facebook page for In Tune to Nature to share. Them. I definitely will. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we're out of time, but I want to thank you, Dr. Oktar, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And keep up the important work you're doing for human and non-human animal health and well-being. Thank you so much for having me, Carrie. Yeah. Um, Dr. Akhtar's website is AishaAkhtar.com, and she has a Facebook and Twitter account as well, at Dr. Aisha Akhtar. Again, her name is spelled A-Y-S-H-A-A-K-H-T-A-R. And I want to thank everyone for listening to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting on WRFG.org in 89.3 FM Atlanta, every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Our show's website is facebook.com slash Nature, all spelled out. I'm host Carrie Freeman. Take care and please support independent media like Radio, radio Free Georgia. Thank you.